Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. I, I want to read a story from Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It's probably, in my opinion, <clears throat> the strangest story in the Gospels, maybe the strangest story in the Bible, in many respects. Let me read it and let's see what it says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And on the fourth watch of the night, which was somewhere between three, shall I say, three and four in the morning, so around three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Okay, I, I said that's the probably the strangest story you're going to read in the scripture. I, I say strangest because there's no apparent need for what happened. I, I mean, did you see something there that needed to happen? I mean, if we're talking about, uh, well, it's in the same category, I suppose, to do with sea, when the Red Sea was parted, well, yeah, there was a need for that. It was the deliverance of the peoples of Israel and the beginning of God's purposes in them. Yes, that's for sure. And when Joshua walked into the River Jordan and it parted, Yes, that was important. It made the way for the same Israelites to go into the land of Canaan. I mean, there's, and the supernaturals of healing the sick. Well, yeah, of course, that, that has purpose and meaning to it. Uh, deliverance from demonic power, uh, feeding those that were hungry, or even rescuing a couple whose wedding was about to be flushed down the toilet. All of that, there, were, there was a point to it. There was a meaning behind it. But what I've just read to you, I say yet again, is the strangest of all of this, because I don't see any particular apparent or in-your-face meaning to it. It was simply... Jesus took a stroll on the top of the water, walked off into the Lake Galilee on top of the waves, and, and, and then invites Peter to come and enjoy a little walk with him. And it all took place at four o'clock in the morning. I, I, 
And then uh, when it was over, they got in the boat and went home. I, I mean, I say again, what on earth is going on here? Let, let me say this and try and give it some context. It is a time in the, what shall I say, the relationship Jesus had with the disciples. It was a time when he is intensifying his teaching them and preparing them for what is about to come, which is the time in which we live, which is the new covenant time or the time of the Spirit. Um, And he's preparing them and it's going to get more and more intense until it gets to the upper room. Uh, and when he's laying out before them what life in the new covenant will be. But at this point, his, his teaching is involving them. You see, in the scripture, the word teaching has nothing to do with our Western idea, which is to sit in in an uncomfortable classroom with a pile of books in front of us and an egghead professor in front of us, and he's telling us stuff, and we're reading uh, what is written, and then we try to memorize it and write it down, and we get a grade or something. That's nothing to, when the Bible talks about teaching, it does not mean that. Teaching in the Bible is that you are brought by your mentor to the point of actually doing what he's talking about. And doing it to the point you are now ready to teach someone else and bring them to do it. There's no such thing in the Bible as knowledge that goes nowhere. No such thing as saying, well, I was taught and I've done nothing with it. No, then you haven't been taught, you see. It's only when it's put into practice. And so Jesus has taught them, but in the last months before this, with increasing intensity, he is bringing them to be involved. That is not just words, but they're going to actually participate with him in what he's doing. So you remember that back in chapter 10, and in terms of gospel story, that's quite a time ago, Jesus began by sending them, the disciples, to heal the sick, and cast out demons and preach the kingdom of God. But just a minute, that's what he was doing. But he's saying, it's time that you go now. I give you the authority. I I impart to you that you might participate in my power. You go and do it. And they went off and they did it. And they're realizing that this is not that Jesus is simply doing something like magic tricks in front of us uh, for an applause, but rather he's drawing us into what he's doing and he's sending us out to do his works. He's already taught them how he prays when they said, teach us to pray. And and Jesus gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he led them in his understanding of communion and fellowship with the Father. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's been right up until the early evening of this. I mean, this happened, as I say, at probably four in the morning. But in the evening of that previous day, before they got into the boat, Uh, Where were they when they got into the boat? They had just finished what we call the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the story, sort of, I'm sure, um, where where they had this multitude of persons, and it says that there were 5,000 men. I wish people would read the Bible carefully. I mean, right here in this uh, New Testament I have here, There's a little heading that says 5,000 fed. Oh, please, would somebody read the Bible? It says there were 5,000 men and women and children, which in just a simple um, addition makes it around 15,000. You remembered that. And, And then 
um, all they had among them was five loaves, two fishes, and, and Jesus uh, blesses. But you see, do you remember, he then involves the disciples. He's already involved them to go and see what food there's available, and they've got all anxious and so on. But, but now he actually involves them. He puts the food in their hands, and it's in their hands it multiplies. So Jesus unquestionably did the miracle, but he's doing it in union with these fellows. And, and they are participating in, in this miraculous power that's happening. And they're the ones that put it into the hands of the people. And they're the ones that go afterward and with bug eyes pick up 12 great big basketfuls of what was left over. They've been, do, do you get it? They're involved. Jesus is not the Lone Ranger. He is now sharing his love power. The Father's love power that is manifested in him is now through him manifested in these disciples. The same Holy Spirit upon him that they're beginning to taste and touch this dimension. So, having come thus far, they get into the boat and there follows this incident in the middle of the night, which I, I, I believe, as I read this whole context, he, it's another example of Jesus bringing them, and this time to an unlimited involvement in his mission, his revelation of the Father, and he, he is going to bring them or invite them into a total participation in him and with him in life. It becomes a, a, a kind of teaching that is played out there in the middle of the Galilee. And so they get into the boat late in the evening of that miraculous day. And Jesus goes off to the mountain to pray, and they push their boat out into the Galilee. And they meet with, I'll say, a storm. It, it was nothing like other storm that we read of in, in the gospel, but it was a storm. They were battling with the wind and the waves, high waves, the, the, what the word translated there that I read, battled, they, they were battered, battered by the waves. That word um, describes waves that are, well, one translation is grievously agitated. That is, uh, another um, ancient manuscript actually puts the word there, baptized. So as they plunge into the lake, they hit the waves and the waves come over the boat and they feel like being baptized. They're certainly battling very big waves and a wind that is right in their face. They, they can't use the sails. It says that they were rowing. They, they'd got the oars out and here these fellows with their great muscles are pulling on and they're battling against the wind and the waves. Get, get this, this picture. It's a very threatening situation. Any, there's, there's no good sailor that laughs at the sea. It has a tremendous respect for the sea and for wind and high waves. You don't fool with it. The, the sea is a threatening monster if it gets a hold of you. And, and so in this situation, there's always that concern that every wave, every howl of the wind is a threat that you, you could drown in this, you see. You, you, you might not win the battle of this. And so they, they row their way across. It was too strong. Get the picture. Feel it. Feel the spray in your face. Feel the wind tugging at your hair. See the moonlight on the waves through the clouds that are racing across the sky. And you feel that it's three o'clock in the morning. And then... Uh, 
can, can you imagine? I don't know if I can. To see through the waves, it would be like looking through moving sand dunes. Oh, only they're not sand, they're water. And, and, and they're moving. And, and, and you see through the waves, there's, there's a figure in the moonlight walking on top of the water, on top of the waves. He goes up and they go down. And, and, and someone is strolling in the moonlight. And, 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 well, what would you do? I mean, fear of, of what the weather might do to them has disappeared. Now, they're looking at someone or something. You see his hair streaming behind him in the wind, and his robe is billowing out as he strolls across the waves in the moonlight. Sheer terror. That is something that is totally outside of all the files in my brain. The only thing they can come up with, uh, they, they scream to one another in sheer terror, a ghost, a ghost, a, a phantom. Uh, and that has always, of course, if, if we're, we're talking about such things, uh, you, you, you are believing it is a hostile spirit, a spirit of the dead. Or someone with a little more sense might say a demon, but never, never looked upon as a friendly thing. Never. I mean, remember, we're in a storm now, and here a, a jolly spirit turns up. Is that an omen? Are we about to be plunged into the depths? This is this is beyond anything that we, we've we've ever heard of or natural. I mean. I suppose anyone that's ever seen a ghost like this on top of the water, they never lived to come back home and tell us about it. A ghost, that's what they see, a phantom, a spirit on top of the white caps, and it's three in the morning, and, well, I just have to give an aside here, because we, of course, know who that phantom was. You see... We, and I say we, it's natural to humankind. We want a religion that fits all the norms, all the boxes of our natural mind. Think about it. Think a lot about it. We want a religion that presents us with something predictable. We, we want something. We, we want doctrine. We, we even want a Bible that we can explain, you see. We want everything to fit into what we think is our scientific boundaries, thing, things that are. That, that's truth. That's truth, you see. Uh, and, and we can work it out with our natural mind. We want a Jesus that is confined to human possible. Therefore, we want a Christianity that appeals to doing my best, having a jolly good try at being good. And that kind of thing, it's all neatly wrapped up. It's the safest box in the world. We've got God in a box. We've got Jesus in a box. We've got all, we know how all these things work out and we're going to have a good try. And then... The real Jesus turns up in the middle of our ordinary life and we scream out, it's a ghost, it's a demon, it's new age, and so God help us. No. Across the wind, through the spray, comes the voice of Jesus, don't be afraid, or take courage. And my Bible there translates it, it is I, which it's a good enough translation, but actually many scholars would say that Jesus shouted, don't be afraid, I am. And it is I, it is a way of saying I am, except that I am 
is the name of God throughout the Old Testament and spills into the New. The I Am. Remember, that's the name that God gave to Moses when Moses requested that. That's interesting. That Jesus, Jesus is not a ghost. No, of course not. He's not a, not a phantom. That is, he's not other than us. He's not a spook. He's not something that belongs at Halloween. He doesn't threaten. He's not the source of fear. He is God. The I am, but in complete union with us humans. And so what I see walking across the water is not God, not a ghost, but he is man. He's one of us. A man so one of us that those who were raised with him in Capernaum just looked upon him as the local carpenter and got highly offended when anyone suggested he was more than that. He's one of us. He's like us in every respect. And yet at the same time, the same moment as I think of him as totally man, he is totally God who has come to us to reveal to us who God is, but also reveal to us the original blueprint of what man was created to be. Remember, it says we were created to be the image of God. The image. Those, so that when people would see us, they would see God. And the only way that could be is that we were created to be in union with God. So that for us to live, God would express himself through us. And Jesus has come and never works out of his deity, but always as a real man in dependence upon the Holy Spirit revealing the Father. And he comes and he shouts, take courage, I am I'm the presence of safety. I'm the presence of peace. The presence of love. And what you see is the love wonders of God. Not a time for fear. And the men, I mean, again, can you get into their minds? I don't know. They're clinging to this swaying boat that they've stopped all their rowing now. And it can spin in circles for all they care. They can't think. They, they cannot. There's no category for this. They're, they're mentally paralyzed. And it was at that point that Peter stepped out of the huddled, terrified group of men. And he comes to the swaying side of the boat and looks out across in the moonlight, through the spray, through the howling of the wind, he's heard. He heard the voice of Jesus. And in my Bible, it says, and Peter said to him, said. And uh, an older version of the Bible would give the correct there. It would say he answered him. I, I don't know why this, which is among the best translations, New English, New American Standard, but it says he said. Well, yes, of course he said, but the word there in the original language and so important to the story is that Jesus spoke and then Peter answered. Now, this word answer, that's loaded. He answered to answer. And certainly this is what it means in the original language. It means the same today, really. It, it means a response, word response, to something another has said or done. It's a response, I answer, it's a response to another's words or actions. But, but it's not just a response. It's, and this is the meaning of the word, a considered, that is, 
however long it's taken, but I, I've weighed what they said and what they did. I, I've weighed it, and, and I've discerned what is happening here. Uh, or one could say again, I, I weigh it. Uh, could I say think about it? Um, if you include the idea of evaluating, it's not just thinking about, it's weighing, it's evaluating what's going on here. It is a considered, I think, about it. I give thought to it. It's a discerning. I'm seeing into what's happening here. And then my answer would be, and again, this is a definition, a suitable or a fitting word for that moment. That is, it's an answer that makes sense considering what has been said. Peter answered. Why do I take time to, to look at that? Because Peter gets a bad rap. You know, he, he, we, we think of Peter as a blabbermouth. He, he's the one that opens his mouth before he had two times to think. And... Um, I've looked at just about all the commentaries that have been written by great men about this, and not one of them, not one of them, in my opinion, even begins to see what really happened. And and some even said that Peter, you know, began sinking at the end of the story because what he did was presumption and he just got a, come on, Jesus invited him, Jesus was excited that he said what he said. No, this wasn't presumption. This isn't Peter just drooling at the mouth. Peter, in those microseconds, as he puts it together, no, it's not a ghost, thinks Peter. It's not. It's him. It's Jesus. Jesus? Walking on the water? Ah. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. But then, do we ever really understand what he does or says? And then, yeah, I say microseconds, but it's amazing what we can come up with in microseconds. He, he shared with us his, his power, his insight. He sent us out to preach in his name. He sent us out to lay our fishermen's hands on people and in his authority, we've seen them healed, we've seen demons flee. We were there a few hours ago feeding the thousands. So now, he, he's out there walking on top of water elements. Is he? Is he inviting us to join him? in his authority over the material atoms of this world. He, he didn't have a scripture. You see, there, there's no scripture in, in the Bible that I know of, certainly not known to Peter. Nothing that Jesus had said that would suggest that he could walk on water no, this is based on the fact that Peter, Peter knew Jesus. And when I say knew, I don't mean know about him. Peter was one of the first of the disciples. You remember John and Andrew went down to John Baptist and became his disciples and they picked up Philip and Nathaniel on the way back. And then Jesus comes to Peter and that was the beginning of this incredible walk. And 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 Peter, yes, he was impulsive. That was, and and he continued. That was Peter, um, even on into the Acts of the Apostles and Epistles. He's still still that impulsive fellow. But even back here, he, he's a person that catches glimpses, as if the Holy Spirit shows, and that's enough. If he sees a glimpse, he'll move in. And so you have this ad hoc meeting at Boatside, across the raging waters. And basically Peter was saying, is this possible for me? Are you saying that I should come and join you? 
And so he shouts it back. If it be you, if it's really you, of course I know it is, it's, it's more like him saying, seeing as this is you, then, then bid me or command me to come to you. Come, stop reading the Bible and get inside his head. What a thought! What a thought! Bold? You bet bold. That sentence challenged everything that Peter knew of the limits of natural law. He was contradicting a thousand generations of his ancestors, as well as all his experience. He had been born on the lake. He knew that sea, and he knew that every time he stepped in water, he went straight through it. Every, every experience he'd ever had, he knew that. He knew persons that have been drowned in these waters. <laughs> Just looking at the very idea. Well, you wouldn't have an idea under normal circumstances, would you? Walk on water? Walk on what? You can't. You can't. Get it straight, man. You're going insane. You can't walk on. It contradicts all experience of all humans in all times. But Peter, Peter sees what Jesus is doing. And based on the flimsy last weeks of being drawn into the very life and ministry of Jesus... He goes for it. Is this possible? Is this possible for me? Is this a new world of possible that's opening up in front of us? And so he stands there. Oh, get a look at him. His hair is plastered around his neck and face. He's soaking wet. The waves have already saturated him. The clothes hang soaking on his body. A tough fisherman looks out and he asks him right now as the spray lashes his face, he says, if it's you, then bid me to come to you. I'd say right at that minute, right at that minute. He didn't say that later over a cup of hot chocolate, you know? He didn't wait till we all get home and then say, I say, Jesus, do you, do you think I could have done that with you? No, no, that, that's certainly not Peter, nor is it as the New Testament understands our experience of God. It's not, not something to be discussed later. It's, this is truth. The Holy Spirit's opened your eyes to the... What are you going to do with this? And Peter only knew it was one way, bam, now... I say again, this is not impetuous, rash Peter. If it, if it had been, Jesus would rebuke him. Jesus knew Peter better than any other human being, better than Peter himself. And, and do you remember Peter? Now, this is Peter's rashness. Jesus said that he had to die. And, and he'd be mocked and scourged and so on. And Peter said, no, be it far from you. Get that silly thought out of your head. Now, that's Peter being very rash. First thought that came into his head. And Jesus spun around and said, get behind me, Satan. You, you are savoring thoughts of men, not of God. Oh, yeah. Jesus never let him get away with anything, you see. No, this, I believe, this crazy statement, this, this, this insane request is in the same line with that other time that Peter apparently blurted something out. When Jesus said, who, who do men say that I am? And or oh, they all had a guess at it, you know. Well, you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. You're, you're Jeremiah the prophet. You know, you're Elijah. Wow. And suddenly Peter looked down and says, you are the Messiah. 
the Son of God. And Peter, I, I think Peter stood wondering, did I really say that? And Jesus said, flesh and blood, that is your mortality, your humanity did not reveal that to you, my Father in heaven. That is you received through the Holy Spirit insight, understanding beyond the capabilities of your brain. So, Peter, and I think all the other, yeah, the others agreed, but they hadn't said so, you see. Peter was, well, if he saw it, he'd say it. If, if, if he saw, he'd do it. He's bold. But, but not silly bold. He submits his crazy idea to Jesus. And I mean, I, I, common sense would say, wait till we get home. But no, right there, as the boat is tossing and there's nothing now to guide it, uh, whirling in the, in the waves and Jesus is over there and the whole thing is, and he shouts this, this to Jesus and he submits it as a request. Since it is you, Command me to come to you. That is, I'm not going to jump out there and try and do what Jesus did. I, you know, I, 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 God, and I mean it, God bless them. They're so sincere. But I, I've been with people, you know, what would Jesus do? And I, I've said he might have walked on the water right now, you see. Uh, that is a silly question. What, what, what Peter is not going to jump in there to see if it works. He's not going to... Try and be like you. He, he submits it to Jesus. If it is you, is this crazy? Can, can, I, can I come? Would you, would you invite me? And of course, this is not Peter looking inside of him for the potential Peter. There, 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 there's, see, there, there's, no. It is Peter recognizing his total humanness, but he submits to Jesus based on what Jesus appears to be doing with them that he, he would act in union with Jesus. That's, that, I, he would not do it for Jesus. He would not try and be like Jesus. He would do it in union with Jesus. And he waits for the enabling invitation. For when Jesus would give an invitation to do it, it would carry with it the power, the enablement, to do that. He waited for the permission of Jesus. Or you could say he waited for what I've said. We, we, he didn't have, which was a promise that he could do this. But now he's waiting and from the lips of Jesus would come that promise. Come and do it, he's saying. And every, every promise of God that's ever been given comes with, innate in it, is the power to do it. Every promise, is, it comes to us as, yes, amen, do it. And so Peter waits for such a promise. I, I, I look at all the chaps standing behind him, you know, those other disciples. I mean... They knew what Peter knew. And actually, looking back at them, I think some of them might have known or had better insight than Peter. I mean, John, John was the seer. John could see what others missed. Nathaniel was a great student, a Bible scholar, thinker. But it was Peter who didn't have everything John had, certainly didn't have what Nathaniel had, but he had the most beautiful thing, which was the boldness to do in the moment what he saw to be truth. And so he calls it out, and they don't. They stand behind him, speechless, why weren't they asking? Why was it only Peter? It could have been a whole jolly team of them out on the water. Notice Jesus didn't choose who would walk with him on the water. 
didn't use at all. That was essentially Peter's idea. Why, why do they hold back? I have to say, what else to say? They didn't want to. However dangerous that boat was, right now it's the safe zone. It's the zone of all that is humanly possible. Jesus has taught them. And they've been on these forays that he sent, sent them out on. They were there a few hours ago, handing out the bread and the fish. But, but they, they don't want this lab time. You know what I mean? Let, let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Wow, what an idea. But they don't want to come into a union with Jesus that carries them this far. That they'll stay with the theory, thank you very much. Uh, and did they roll their eyes at Peter, you know? <coughs> I mean, if you had to live with this chap, travel with him all over the place, here he goes again. Oh, Peter, will you think before you talk? Don't be stupid. One turns to the other and says, he's a half-brained blabbermouth. You've gone too far this time, Peter. And some might say, you're being irreverent. If that is Jesus walking in the water, this is a time for worship. Not turning it into a circus. Incidentally, I've heard all of those expressions when there has been manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? When I've seen people healed and filled with the Holy Spirit, there's always some leader of the church that would say you're turning it into a circus. No, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Peter had connected with the intentions of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to actually participate in the love power of God. You see, Jesus was delighted by what Peter said. There's no hesitation. Jesus doesn't say, I've got to pray about this. He says, come. And actually, the Passion Translation, which is an excellent translation, buy it from Amazon. Um, in a footnote, it says that actually... That expression used today, we could say, go for it. It is not as if a Supreme Court justice is saying, come. It is more like uh, you're, you're a little eager child to do something and your dad says, go for it, boy. That, that's, that's what Jesus says, go for it. Come and have a moonlight walk with me on the water. Go for it, Peter. Let's do the impossible together. Come and discover. Come and experience what it is to actually share my life. Share my permission from the Father. Share my authority. Share my ability and power. Come on, let's do it together. The entire Bible, I mean the entire beginning of the beginning, the entire Bible introduces us either to men and women of boldness or of a God who is urging them and thrusting them into boldness, boldness as a trust response to incredible love. But into the New Testament where we live, it goes far beyond boldness or total freedom of speech becomes one of the marks of the New Testament. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, says Hebrews, boldly. And I say that word literally means freedom of speech. That is, you don't need to have a prepared manuscript. It means let it all hang out, blurt it out, forget the grammar, forget how you pronounce the word, get, get, get it out. 
That's what it means. It's, it's total freedom of speech, and it means no one will criticize you for it. Come on, says God, submit your desires. Didn't he say that? When you pray, what things soever you desire. Oh, how terrified we are of that. But we never get out our desires. We, we dance around them and then say with that terrible religious twang in our voice, oh, if it be your will. We're terrified if we say something that isn't in the will of God. We'll probably blow up the universe. You know God wants to share your dreams. He wants to hear how you, How many times in the scripture does the Lord ask someone to tell him what they've just done or how they're feeling? Oh, give me a break. He knew it. Of course he did, but he wants to hear it through your eyes. He wants to see it through your mind. He wants to hear you say what happened. Jesus coming alongside those on the road to Emmaus, and they're sad because Jesus was crucified. And he says, you look sad. And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened? And he said, what things? Why? He wants to hear them share how they see it. And they see it all wrong, but he loves it. So that he can now correct us so gently, he can bring us into line with truth. He says, be bold, let it all hang out. I want, I'm passionate, I'm hungry to hear what you're saying. Hmm. Well, Peter was bold, that's for sure. He doesn't realize it, but he's touching the new covenant, the new covenant, where the whole of the new covenant is in the same category as walking on the water. Have you ever thought about that? This new covenant in which we live, the scripture says, describing it is eyes have never seen, ears have never heard, it's never entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those who love him, but God has now in this new covenant revealed it to us by his spirit. This is where we live. Or that other one, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think or imagine in our wildest dreams. Come on, you live there. You do. I do. Huh. Peter touched it. Before it's come, it wouldn't come to the day of Pentecost, but Jesus is teaching them, pushing them. Come on, come on. This is where we're going. Jesus is the prototype of the new covenant, and he's teaching them, you share my life. I live, you live. Because I live, you live. He's teaching them when you love, it won't be just a jolly good tribe of human. Love one another as I love you with my love. You see, we'll share it together. I, I don't say just be happy and smile like some self-help book. No, he says, my joy I give to you so that we joy together, he said. You get it? My peace I give to you. You won't just have to try and be peaceful. My peace I give, and that passes all human comprehension as surely as walking on the water did. You didn't know you, this is what you got yourself into. This is, what, this is Christianity 101. Hmm. You say, well, what about the will of God? Supposing it wasn't God's will that Peter walked on the water. The gentlest person in all time space and eternity would gently tell peter you're wrong but this idea of the will of god i have to insert this here this idea of the will of god it's not rigid sealed orders you know is it the will of god i go to this shopping mall or that one huh. i i don't get the will of God is very broad, very broad. It's walking, the will of God, you can reduce it to the fact of you walking in a genuine relationship with the Father through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. So walking in a relationship in the Holy Trinity where you both occupy the same space. 
And he exalts you to be an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And in any given situation, it's broad. It's, he wants your input. He wants what you see. He wants what you desire. So we can be bold in our conversation within the Holy Trinity. And if it's wrong, it's okay. You, you, you will find that the Holy Spirit will turn the whole thing into a beautiful teaching to you. It will be a time of adjustment. Notice, those who did not ask the crazy question were not invited to walk on the water. Obviously, they didn't want to. In any respects, I didn't want to. Jesus didn't choose Peter to walk on the water. He responded to his daring request. And so Jesus says, come, go for it, go for it. And in so saying, Jesus saw that, that is, saw Peter walking on the water. He saw it as an accomplished fact. This is, you can think about this. It isn't that Jesus said, you, you put your foot out and we'll see what we can do. Jesus knew the union. And he knew that Peter could walk on the water. It's an accomplished fact in the mind of Jesus, in the mind of the Father. And so now, when he said, come, he was inviting Peter to see and experience Peter from the Father's viewpoint that is now being revealed in, in Jesus. To see himself as the Father saw him. To do what Jesus saw him doing. Which was outside of his, his mind. But in that moment, Jesus said, come. Peter saw himself doing just that. He saw himself walking on the water. Why do I say that? Because, number one, everything you do, though it be an atomic second, you see yourself doing it before you do it. You watch yourself in the next week. That is true. And so for Peter to get out of that boat into that raging storm means that though we cannot measure the seconds maybe, but he saw himself doing what Jesus invited him to do. And, uh, and this is, is purely me in one sense, but it says he got out of the boat. Look, if you are going to get out of a boat into a raging storm, you, you get out in a certain way if you ever would get out. See, I, that right there, would Peter ever have gotten out the boat unless he believed what Jesus said? But, okay, if he gets out the boat, he's going to get out of the boat as if he's going to walk on something solid, which is a totally different way of getting out a boat if you know you're not going to hit solid. And if you got out of the boat as if you're going to hit water and hit something solid, you're going to hurt yourself. Or, if you get out of the boat as if you're going to hit something solid and it's water, you're going to be in trouble. No, Peter, in that moment of responding to the invitation of Jesus, sees himself doing it and gets out of the boat in a fashion that he expects it to be solid under his feet. You know what is missed by I don't know how many people? Peter did walk on the water. Huh. It's, it says, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. I think some people never read that. You know, in religious art, you know, so often they, 
They, they make sure to remove us from the event. They, they always picture Jesus with great big lights around his head. And, and when they, I've seen lots of religious art on this story, but it's always, every time, Peter is half drowning and Jesus is picking him out of the water. Right? Is that what it says? I, yes, I know that's where it ended up, but... Peter walked on the water and came toward Jesus. That wasn't two steps. That wasn't a nervous tremble. Here he gets on the water. And actually the idea there, if you read it in the original, walk around. I mean, this is almost play, except they're not playing in a sandbox. They're playing on top of the water. He walks around and he's coming toward Jesus. Having a ball. Go for it, boy. Jesus is actually, there's a connection here, invisible, but a dynamic connection between the life, power, ability, permission of Jesus from the Father that is now, through Jesus, being connected to Peter. They are living in a dynamic union. For one to live is the other to live. They're both operating in the same power. I say, even after all this is over, it's Jesus they worshipped in the boat, not Peter. This wasn't Peter discovering new potential of Peter power. He walked around. And then, yeah, then, he looked at the waves you know, that, that's a funny thing. You've been walking around in the middle of the waves, man. You, you, waves are raging all around you. What do you mean he looked at the waves? Looked at the wind. He didn't look at the wind except to see how it's affecting the waves. Now, this is a different kind of look. The... You see, how can I put this? Up until that point, you could say quite correctly, he was looking at Jesus. And in that look was trust. In that look was the words of Jesus were truth. And I order my life and expect my life in terms of that truth. That, that, that's trust. He trusted. And now, he looks at the wind, or he looks at the waves affected by the wind, and he sees them now as waves, and he's suddenly believing in the power of the storm. And he's believing in the waves as a threat to his life. So he has moved his trust from Jesus to the waves. But he not only believes in their power to drown him, but also now he looks within himself. I've got to find power to save myself from this situation. And immediately... He's operating outside of union with Jesus. When you fasten your look upon appearances that would threaten you in some way or another, then you are yielding to them and you're being drawn into their power. This is what happened here. And Jesus called it, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? Little faith, doubt. The word doubt, what, what is doubt? Essentially, doubt is double-minded. I've said this often, you've heard me, how you spell doubt, D-O-U-B-T, doubt. Why? Because doubt comes from double, D-O-U-B-L-E, double. It's double-minded. It, it is 
standing on this thought and then standing on that thought. It is mentally trying to stand in two places at once. It's two opposing thoughts which produce chaos in the mind, hesitation. And also, inevitably, you come down on the flesh side and look at life now from there, which is all the, the natural way of looking at things. Well, you could say that Peter had a second thought. In the boat, his first thought was that what Jesus does, I can do if he invites me to do it. Uh, that was right. His first thought was right. But out there somewhere, after he'd been walking around toward Jesus, he gets a second thought. Are you mad? <laughs> and, and suddenly he begins to re-see the whole situation. I, I'm, 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 I'm a man. I, I can't walk on water. What am I doing? Your second thought is never to be followed. Follow your first thought. And it is a choice. Faith and doubt our choices. They just don't happen to us. Just don't happen. I, I said this is, is a teaching in action. This is... It wasn't that this will be Peter's lifestyle now, any more than we ever read of Jesus doing it again either. This was teaching something, and I think it is the way I've tried to line it out. You see, the next time Peter was in a boat and Jesus was on the shore, when uh, it was after the resurrection, so that in itself was another amazing thing. And, and John looked through the early morning fog and said, It is the Lord. Well, Peter did not get over the boat and walk on the water. He jumped in and swam like any other human being. No, what is being taught here is not how to walk on water. What is being taught here is how to live your life in complete dynamic union with Jesus so that we walk on life as lords with Jesus rather than being drowned by it. And that's the story of the New Testament. Look, the Christian life is walking on the water. I know, for many, many religious people, that sounds nonsense, because you don't have a dynamic life in the Holy Spirit like the New Testament counts as normal. You have that life that is boxed uh, God in, in everything that's natural and normal to humans, and that's as far as God can go. And your whole gospel is, I'm trying to do my best. No, the whole New Testament sums up, Jesus said, I will be in you, and you will be in me. And Paul says, I live, yet not I. It's Christ who lives in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is in you, he said to the Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is the actual dwelling place, the holy of holies of the Holy Spirit? If we say that we abide in him, says John, we ought to walk, live even as he walks. Or again he says, as Jesus is now, so are we in this world. You understand Christianity is that Jesus, and Jesus as revelation of the Father and the bringer of the Spirit, Jesus lives in the same place as I do, and I live in the same place as he, and yet neither pushes the other out of the way. We, we live in this same one, two of us, yet living in one space, Christ in me without displacing me. That's Christianity. It's not me trying to be like Jesus, it's Jesus being himself in me and actually sharing with me his life. And that relationship is trust. Trust. And so, as I've said already, we, he, he shares his love. We love with his love. He shares his joy, his peace. And didn't he say, the works that I do, you shall do also? And so you, and I speak to every believer there, 
In the presence of sickness, we lay hands on the sick, just like Jesus. Do it in his name, his authority, his presence. Cast out demons in his name. And look at all of our life, material, economic, financial, the whole lot in all our relationships. For Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and he is the kingdom of God, and his righteousness or right walking with him. And he said, and all these things, all the material, the physical, economic, financial, all these things shall be added to you. Yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has come right into the middle of our life and upset all our boxes and said there's a life that is above anything that humans can imagine. So I have to say, what wave is Jesus walking on, waiting for you to join him? Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks even as we're speechless in wonder. This life that you've called us to, we've made it so natural. So, so bound by everything that is human. Our possible doesn't go any further than our own horizons. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Grant to us divine wisdom. Give to us divine understanding. Let us think the thoughts of God. And live lives that bring glory to the name of Jesus. And now I bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, to such a life of supernatural love expressed through you. That is the way it is. Amen.